You're listening to the Truth and Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's Word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's Word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. Hi, and welcome to Truth and Boots. I am not Kathleen. Actually, my name is Jamie Charles. I'm Andrea Crocker. And we're friends of Kathleen and a sister ministry. We blog over at TheologyHitsHome.com. And Kathleen asked us to do this collaborative project with her. Yes. Um, so this is our first podcast. Right. Yeah. Brand new Yeah. experience for me. <laughs> So um, you may recognize, well, we kind of sound alike, so you might not be able to tell the difference between us, but um, Kathleen had me on over the summer to talk about my study in the book of Hebrews, and we had a great time. Kathleen and I always enjoy getting together and talking about theology and what the Lord's been teaching us through the Bible. So um, she offered to let us give it a try on air, I guess, and... um, and so talks about are. something. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to be having a conversation today. Yes. Here we are in the same uh, country, which is unusual. That's true. Yeah. Usually, usually all of our communication has to be virtual because you right. live in. I live in Mexico. And I live in North Carolina. But we're both in North Carolina now. So. Yeah. And we're going to talk about babies. Babies. <laughs> An appropriate topic for us. We both have babies. Right. Well, yours isn't really a baby He will tell anymore. you he's not a baby. Three and a half, almost. Yeah. Yep. Um, My baby is one and a half. So um, this topic actually stems from a study that I've been doing in the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 8. So our most recent series on the blog, Theology Hits Home, has been studying through Psalm 8 and some of the major themes. And one of the, well, the very first one, um, what I think is the main theme of the whole psalm is that God uses the weak to accomplish his purposes. And in verse two of that psalm, he actually mentions uh, what we would consider to be about the weakest group of people that you can imagine. Definitely. Babies. He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I first started studying that psalm, I actually had trouble figuring out how it fit in. But then once, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, actually, this is, this might even be the the, the key verse in the whole psalm. Because he starts the psalm off praising the Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he will talk a lot about the place of man. This is the psalm that says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And, and so David is meditating on the place of humanity in God's plan. And he's comparing him to these amazing, majestic, heavenly beings and heavenly um, uh, bodies in the stars, the sun, the moon. And saying, you know, in comparison with these awesome um, 
uh, evidences of his creation. Yeah. What is man? And he takes it all the way down to really the lowest. Uh, <laughs> Most defenseless. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, actually, it's going to be out of the mouth of babies and infants that you have established praise. And to still the enemy in the Avenger. Yeah. Nobody would think to send their babies in to do battle. But since God might as well use babies because he's compared, so powerful compared yeah. to God, we're, <laughs> it's, we're not much stronger than baby. That's right. Um, I think that that part of the verse is one that people often kind of ignore. We like to think of um, Jesus quotation of this passage when he's uh, refuting the Pharisees. They say, why are you letting these children blaspheme, basically? And he says, well, haven't you read? out of the mouth of babies and infants. And um, so we, you know, that obviously is a great um, application of it, but it that makes little you children wonder. Yeah, the, praise the yeah, Lord the well. little children right. praise the Lord. Yeah, and, and so we, you hear this um, quoted, you know, maybe at uh, cantatas where children's choirs get up and sing or something like that. Yes. But you, it makes you wonder um, in that story... Was Jesus having a deeper uh, rebuke of the Pharisees? And they by, definitely would have had that. They would have had memorized. it memorized. Mm-hmm. Yes, so they would have known where he cut off in the verse, and whom are the enemies that these babies are stealing? Right. It's the Pharisees. Yes. So um, it's a really neat passage, and it kind of set me on a journey through the Bible, just. Uh, trying to trace the place that babies have in God's grand story of redemption. So, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a topic that's hard to distill into a blog post. And we thought yeah. this would be a great conversation for a podcast. Yeah, it's it's more conducive for, <laughs> a, for a conversation. <laughs> so... When we think of babies, it's easy to think of them as kind of as a as a big group, as generic, that one baby would do just as well as another to sell diapers or, or baby food or whatever. Um, but the first point that, that you mention in your in your essay is that babies are, are individuals. We think we need to think of them as individuals, each each baby. So talk about that. Yeah, well, um in my search of the scriptures, um I came across, of course, Psalm 139, where David is, where David is praising the Lord for his complete knowledge of him. And um, the interesting thing to me is that he doesn't start at what we would think of, or maybe even what the Jews would have thought of as kind of the age of accountability, you know, um, or, um, well, once you're responsible for your decisions, or once you know the right and wrong and, and, you know, can have a meaningful relationship can have with a, God. Right. Even, exactly. Right? Um, then you're important enough for God to take note of, but David says, no, it's, it's long before that. And then it's not just that God knew us when we were in the womb, um, each individual baby, but God knits us together in the womb. It is God's act creating life. It is God's act forming that life into exactly what he wants that child to be. And the psalm also says that um, 
even the every single day of our lives is planned out before we're ever born. Yeah. Um, God is knows us that intimately. Right. And God knows before a baby's even born, definitely, even before a baby is conceived, what kind of life that child is going to live and which kingdom he's or she is going to fight for. Yeah. I think that point is really brought out in the story of um, Rebecca and when she conceived. Yes. And yeah. she inquires of the Lord, why are they fighting, basically, right. as she twins in her womb. <laughs> and God already knew, and he, he told her, he could prophesy to her exactly what each of her children was going to become. And he thought of them very much as individuals already by that point. Right. And it's impossible for us to fully explain or even understand. But in Romans 9, the Bible makes it clear. It's not only that God knew, but that God determined. Mm -hmm. Jacob, I have loved, I have chosen, and Esau I rejected. And it makes it very clear. This was before they had done done anything, before the babies could have made any decisions, that God had planned out their days and their lives. Yeah. So babies are individuals. Um, and this was a really interesting point just because it's so self-evident, but it's also very pretty awe-inspiring. Um, babies are indispensable. We have to have them. Um, the human race would not be around if it weren't for babies. <laughs> right. But also that it's unavoidable to be a baby. To be a baby. We've all got to go through the baby stage. Every and we've all done it. single one of us. From the random stranger that you pass on the street, that person was a baby. All the way up to the most significant person you can think of in history, that person was also a baby. At some point. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard to picture sometimes. I remember when I was little trying to picture like an elderly person in my church. What would they have looked right. like as a baby? <laughs> I, would, I think of that with names, like just picturing, you know, a mom being handed her new baby and yes his name is Donald yeah and he's going to grow up to become president of the United States <laughs> after making some money on real estate deals yeah <laughs> but we all had to be a baby it's part, it's something that every single human being shares in common um and as we were talking about before God knows those babies he knows how how things are going to turn out um we've talked about um, even even Hitler, yeah, was even a baby, bad, even bad you know? people, and picturing him as a baby is you know, the only pictures we ever see of him is as an adult and when he's in in uniform. And but he at one point was a baby, and there's kind of a um, in philosophy classes or ethics um, classes they'll have a thought experiment of if you could go back in time and you had the opportunity to kill Hitler when he was still a baby. Uh, would it be ethical to do that? Would it be right to do that? And, you know, people, ethicists go back and forth on that. Um, but I have a hard time with these kind of thought experiments because, first of all, nobody can go back in time. Right. And and then that also assumes that we would have to know, you know, for sure, this this is the right Adolf, this is the right person, and you know, it would be the right thing to kill. And whether it would or not, I don't But the... The fact that I come back to is that God did know. God was there exactly. in, that, in that time when Hitler was a yes. baby and he had the opportunity to end his life before he um, accomplished his his destructive purposes in Europe. Um, 
but God didn't end his life. Right. God allowed him to live. God, allowed, and God, live. God allowed all of that to take place. Yeah. And we will never understand God's purposes, but we have to believe that God had has the power yes. to end or continue yeah. anyone's life. And that was, that was his decision. That makes me think of Job too, how when his life is so miserable for his suffering, he actually tells the Lord, why, asks him, why did you let me live? Why did you let me even see the light of day? Why right. did you let me be born? Yeah. Um, and, you know, so even either evil or intense suffering, um, all of these things are part of God's foreordained plan that he, he allows us to be born. He allows us to be, to go through the baby stage and survive that for a reason. Right. And so as we talk about God's plan, that brings us to um, the third point, which is probably the the biggest point, the most involved point. Um, This time of year in December, we're recording, uh, we see little dolls in mangers in people's yards and in in churches and in in pictures um, showing us that babies are an integral part of God's plan. Um, this so is let's start at the beginning. Let's yeah, go back to the, from the very beginning of the Bible, babies have played a crucial role. Um, after the fall, as God is giving the curses on Adam and Eve and the serpent, in His curse to the serpent, um, He gives that promise that the seed of the woman would be at enmity against the seed of the serpent and would be bruised by the seed of the serpent, but that eventually the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so that's that word seed. It's talking about a descendant. It's talking about a child, a baby that was going to be born in the line of the woman. And so really the whole Bible is a playing out of longing for this seed, looking for this seed and um, and then also really just a kind of a division of humanity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Whose side, like you were saying earlier, whose side are you going to right. take? Which kingdom are they fighting for? And as, as you go through the Old Testament, you see this promised one narrowed down. We know yes. he's going to be a human in Genesis 3. And then we find out that uh, he's going to be part of Abraham's family. And Abraham's ha- has a son, a miraculous baby. Um, he had another son before that, but God makes it clear that Isaac is the child of promise. He chose that baby, right. not Ishmael. And after Isaac, we have Jacob and Jacob had several sons and it was not his oldest son that was chosen. It was not the godly son that we think of Joseph right. who was chosen as the um, line that the promised one would come through is actually his son Judah. And the Old Testament is has a fascinating thread through it, tracing Ju- how Judah's line is preserved, beginning with Judah himself. Right. right. Judah shows up. Judah's um, the, the woman who had Judah's child shows up in the genealogy right in before the, the birth of Jesus. So. Yes. And that that story, um, talking about the importance of babies, um, even babies who are born in less than ideal ways Which, <laughs> or circumstances. Yes, those children of um, Judas definitely even were. Even in explicit sin. Yeah. Those babies are important to God. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's so interesting in the book of Genesis. I remember hearing a sermon um, as part of a series in Genesis, and the preacher pointed out that such a theme in Genesis is all these women, Sarah and Rebecca and um, various ones who is just emphasized as part of their life that they were unable to have children for years and years. And Tamar, um, after one encounter, has twins. And it would have been what definitely would be described as, as an unwanted pregnancy. This was her uh, father well, She wanted it. But <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it was Judah's only surviving children, from what it looks like in the genealogies. And so Judah's line continues. Judah, it seems, repented. And um, it, it seems that he ended his life as a godly man, or at least someone who trusted in the Lord. Um, so he, there's his descendants who were miraculously um, preserved. And then on down, God's people, Moses was preserved as a baby. Um, yeah, and a miraculous preservation that, yes. that the Bible takes a lot of time to record. Right. In um, Hebrews 11, it says that his parents, he was, his parents hid him because they saw that the child was, was beautiful, which seems to have a little more significance than just his physical appearance. Right. They knew that God had, had set this baby apart. Mm-hmm. And so God preserved baby Moses. Um, and then just, I, I did a study this earlier this year in first and second Kings and just seeing the two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And God had promised David, it'll be your mm-hmm. descendant. So it's got to be David's line. And David's line ruled the kingdom of Judah from David until the Babylonian captivity. They never, it never changed, uh, changed dynasties. Whereas mm-hmm. Israel, the parallel kingdom, um, every couple of generations, they're getting a new family in charge. Um there would be a military overthrow and and a new king would come in who was not of the of the same line as the previous king but in Judah it's not like that it's the same family so all those queens were having sons yes who became the next king and several of them you know in some cases it is i'm thinking of Joash mm-hmm. where he was a baby and was rescued when his um wicked grandmother decided she was going to usurp the throne and went about trying to kill all of her uh, all of her son's offspring who would have been the legitimate heirs to the throne, but she missed Joash. Someone mm-hmm. found him and hid him um, for several years from Athaliah. And by the time Athaliah found out about it, it was just moments before her death. So Joash grows up, did some good things in his life, but made some major mistakes toward the end and was actually assassinated by members of his court and but, this, I think, was just so amazing. Right. The people who killed him went ahead and installed Joash's son on the throne after him. How unusual than, right. is that in history? <laughs> that, I mean, when does that happen? <laughs> so Judah's line just keeps going all the way yeah. until, until the Babylonian captivity. And it is brought out in Matthew's genealogy. So in Luke, when the angel announces to Mary, he's already... Gabriel's already talked to Elizabeth and says, this baby will be great. But when he says to Mary, this baby will be great, he adds, he will be called the son of the highest. I will give him the throne of his father, David. David's line is going to continue after all those miraculous preservations of babies. I think that's that's a clear illustration of Psalm 8 verse 2, that God is using babies to um, to show his power over his enemies.
Yes. So that brings us to uh, the climax, really, because we saw in Genesis, we were waiting for a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent himself. And so enter the Christmas story. Yes. (laughs) Um, This is the most important baby that has ever been born in history. And the... uh, the means of his birth, the circumstances surrounding his birth, all point to the fact that he is unlike any other baby as well. Right. Because not only is he 100% human, he is also 100% God. Right. And it's a mystery, but um, it's just it's just amazing to me to to meditate on the incarnation that God became flesh and he didn't become flesh as a 30 year old man and start his earthly ministry, you know, just show up on the scene. Right. He became flesh the same way we become flesh. Yes. Well, not the same way because we are conceived by right. mom and dad. Right. But, but, but he started in the same place where we yes, started. Yes, he, started he started in a woman's the- womb. So he experienced not just what we think of as an adult life or even, you know, as a 13-year-old boy coming in, you know, coming into humanity. But he experienced every single thing that a baby goes through. Right. And as you talked about, his purpose for coming mm-hmm. was to crush the serpent's head, to do battle against the snake. And Hebrews 2.14 makes... Uh, refers to that, talks about him destroying the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Um, But what was necessary for that to take place? Uh, The first part of the verse says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. He, He had to partake of the same things that that other humans do that all of yes. it. And like we talked about yes. earlier, being a baby is part of the human experience. It's right. It's something that every single human shares. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I think is a really neat point that he, he can identify with a grown man going through, you know, grown man things, but he can identify with my three and a half year old son. Yes. And my one and a half year old daughter. Right. He was one and a half at mm-hmm. one point. And there are temptations and fears that one and a half year olds have that really no other person has. Yeah, you know, we don't yeah. have to fear older children taking her being mean to us, yeah. pushing us. <laughs> or, but but one and a half year olds do. Yeah, yeah, and and it's real. It's their experience. Yes, and he went through that experience, right? And in verse seventeen, later on in Hebrews two, it gives another reason that Jesus had to be like us. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that. He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being yeah. tempted. So his becoming like us, becoming a baby, in some way contributes to his ability to yes. help us. It's hard to really understand that other than just reading the words of the verse because God can do anything. So how could he be more able to help as a result of a certain experience? But that's, that's what the verse teaches that he had to be made like us so that he could help us in, in a merciful way as a high priest. And another sweet thing about it is that uh, the, 
as Hebrews brings out, that he is now not ashamed to call us brothers. Right. Can you imagine telling an Old Testament Jew, God is going to call you a brother? They would have said, you're blaspheming. They would have said, there's no way, you know, that that would be possible. And yet in the incarnation, Jesus identified with us to that extent where he now calls us brothers. Right. Right. A lot of um, Christmas programs, and this is this is definitely correct and good to remind people of, that we see these babies in the manger and we're reminded Jesus didn't stay a baby. Um, and while we should keep that in mind, we should also keep in mind Jesus was a baby at one point. God the Son, um, at a point in history, yes. was a baby. Maybe. Yeah, it's amazing. So, if we're going to bring this home... Right. What what are our applications? Well, just some of the things that I've been meditating on and how I could apply this in my life, Um, not just an intellectual exercise, but actually um, put it to use in my life. And one is just strengthening my conviction that every human life is valuable. Even Um, before birth. Even before birth. And... You know, I've, I have always been pro-life. I've always, you know, been against abortion. Yeah. But this study has just um, magnified in my mind how heinous it is and how um, arrogant it is for us to assume that we have the right to take the life of a human being uh, even before, before they are born. And just the meditating on how God has knit that person together very intentionally and how God places great value on young children. Um, Who are we to think that we can take, take these things into our own hands and take that life? Yeah, that's definitely true and inescapable conclusion to come away with from a study on yeah. babies throughout scripture. But I think, uh, well, on a more lighthearted note, but also maybe on a, hits me more where I am right now because I've, I've never really been tempted to, you know, to support a portion. Yeah. Um, would just be, um, how, how do I show that I place value on babies and children? Right. Um, I have two of my own. And so obviously that, you know, they are, a priority for me. And so am I um, giving them the attention that God would have me to give? And specifically, I'm, I'm thinking of the way that we are instilling in our children, but then I would broaden this out to the children in my church, um, the children that I come in contact with in our neighborhood and the opportunities that we would have for evangelism. Um, are we seeking to point children to God? Um, Another, we talked about Jesus application of this text and we can go to the life of Jesus and how he treated children and how he spoke about children. And not only did he welcome them and say, let them come to me, but he even pointed to them as an example of how adults should come to him in faith. Yes. The kingdom of God belongs to people who are like children. Yes. And so there is, there it's, it's not just, well, 
Um, we should probably be teaching them now so that maybe someday in the future, um, you know, that is true too. We should be storing up truth in their hearts and right. in their minds that even if they don't understand right now, one day it'll click. But there are ways right now that these little children can praise the Lord and can, um, can bring, just magnify his greatness, uh, even as children. And it brings God pleasure to hear it. Yes. And if there's something that we can do to um, bring pleasure to the heart of God, we should delight in, in it as well. Um, I, it it makes me also think, I did a study in the book of Malachi. And he, in Malachi, he, he is rebuking the nation for their flippant attitude toward marriage. Yeah. And uh, and they apparently were, were just divorcing their wives kind of willy-nilly and he sternly rebukes them for that and he says basically i have a very specific purpose for these marriages and the purpose that he states in malachi is godly offspring Mm -hmm. um of course all babies are important to god even the ones who weren't are not born to believing uh parents yeah but those who are raised in a christian home those who are nurtured in a christian environment are able to be instilled with the fear of God and to learn his ways. They are, they should, that, that is commanded, you know, Deuteronomy six and all throughout scripture. Yes. Um, parents are commanded to teach their children, the ways of the Lord, to teach their children, the commands of the Lord. And that godly offspring will be the tool, as we've been talking about, the tool that God will raise up to do his work. All of these men that we've talked about, Moses and Abraham and all of them, um, God raised them up for a specific purpose. Now, that's not to say that people who are converted later in life, you know, obviously God uses them too. We have the Apostle Paul as an example. But he, the Lord very, very specifically designed the home so that children would be brought up in the fear of the Lord and they would go on to continue his line and continue his purposes in the world. Right. So it's it gives us confidence as we see the uncertainty of the world and things that we probably won't live to see the final outcome right. of. Right. Um, it is our privilege to to teach children who are in our churches and um, that God brings into our lives to teach them the ways of the Lord because they will, they'll have longer. Um, And I was just uh, also in the Psalms, just reading about, I think it's Psalm 78 about we'll teach our children Mm -hmm. um, and then they will go on to teach the generation yet unborn. So my children, the oldest is 13. His children are yet unborn. And then it goes on and says, and they will teach their children. Mm. So these children that we've never seen, um, that hopefully I'll see, <laughs> the yeah. children of my children. But then it's getting Maybe less and children. less, <laughs> right, less and less likely that I'll continue to see children, generation after generation of right. children. But it carries on through the, the previous generation teaching their own children who will go on to teach the generation yes. yet unborn and the potential that there is for God's truth to be disseminated through people that uh, we don't know yet, right? but we're investing right. in their lives by teaching the children 
God has brought into our paths. And like you said, we don't know what the world will be like when these children are adults. And and we can look at some of the trajectories and actually it can make us fearful. Sometimes almost to the point of saying, is it cruel for me to have children right now, to bring Mm -hmm. a baby into into this uncertain world, knowing that um, throughout history we have seen periods of intense suffering for God's people. Mm -hmm. And even throughout the world right now, there are Christians who are being persecuted. Uh, And it is a a question on parents' minds, um, yet God's answer would be an emphatic yes, yes, that I am going to use your godly offspring to accomplish my purposes in this dark world. Right. So that was babies. Yeah. So um, Merry Christmas. Sure we <laughs> didn't cover everything in the, that the Bible says about babies, but we hit some highlights yeah. about how babies are individuals. Babies are um, indispensable <laughs> to the human race and, and to God, and that babies are integral to God's plan. God has used babies to demonstrate his power to his enemies um, from the beginning and that we can trust him to continue to do that going forward in the future. Yeah. So hopefully as you are um, going through the rituals and singing the same songs that you sing every year at this time of year, that maybe some of these truths that we've talked about can give this Christmas season a deeper significance for you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.